0: Notice what it says in verse 30 of Proverbs chapter 11. It says, "...the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise." Uh, what I want to talk about this morning is soul winning in the Old Testament. Soul winning in the Old Testament. Now, unfortunately, um, you know, dispensationalism has really messed a lot of people up when it comes to Bible doctrine. And many people... Uh, they, there's a lot of very important truths that they miss in the Bible and in the Old Testament about salvation because they're so mixed up on dispensationalism and I've heard people too they'll take this verse here in Proverbs chapter 11 and it's like well you know that's yeah bible says he that win his souls is wise but that's not the same as the soul winning like we do today all right because when we go out and we take our Bibles and we go and we try to Uh, knock on people's doors and give them the gospel trying to get them saved we call that soul winning we're trying to win their souls to christ now in many churches today they go out and they try to do body winning all right they're going to go out and they basically knock on doors trying to show people just how hip and trendy they are so they can get their bodies in here to the church service and they can just have the bigger numbers and get the people's money all right now do we hope some people visit as a result of our soul winning? Obviously we do, but we're not really out body winning. We're out soul winning. We're trying to get people's souls saved so they'll go to heaven. And we call it soul winning. And I believe here in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, when it's talking about he that win the souls is wise, I believe this is talking about getting someone saved. And this is something that it mentions in the Old Testament. Before Jesus came and died on the cross, before he gave that great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, many people have this attitude that winning people to Christ and getting people saved is something that started in the New Testament. That it's a New Testament thing. But I'm going to show you that not only is it was it an Old Testament thing, but our method of winning souls and the Bible when it tells us how to do it, it would give us get these ideas from the Old Testament. Alright, so we're going to see that this winning souls has been going on since there's been saved people. And it's not going anywhere. And I think the point of talking about this too is it's a reminder of just how important soul winning is in the life of a believer and getting people saved. So so many people, they, they believe in this practice today, and they but they do not believe it's something that saved people were always supposed to do. Saved people, have all we've always been about getting other people saved. And that's something that we should have done. Now, did they do like we do today? Did they have an organized soul-winning time where they're like, alright, we're going to all get together at this time get your gospel tracts together and your flyers and go knocking on each door, assigning streets and things like that? Did it look like that back then in the Old Testament? Probably not. You know, Did they send missionaries like we do today uh, in other cities? You know, Probably not exactly the way we're doing it today, although we do see God often sent, and we see examples in the Bible of God sending prophets to other nations to prophesy to them. And there may have been many examples that the Bible just doesn't tell us about. I might say more about that later. But, um, you know, I do believe that God's people were always supposed to tell others around them how to be saved. And I want to try to prove that to you. Uh, from the scriptures. So, first off, uh, look, we're, so just a few proofs we're going to look at of soul winning in the Old Testament. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25. Alright, I believe right here what we're about to see is proof of soul winning in the Old Testament. Okay? And you might say, oh, no, that verse in itself is not proof, but when we look at some things from the New Testament, you're going to see that this is actually proof that there was soul winning in the Old Testament. It says in Genesis 4.25, and Adam knew his wife again. And she bare a son and called his name Seth, for God said, She hath appointed me another seed, instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, and to him also were uh, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Alright? I don't see the soul winners in there. Well, I actually do see the soul winners in there. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you why. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Alright? I've been saying this a lot. I, I, I've I've been planning on preaching a whole message on this, and I just haven't done it yet. But I've been referring to this a lot lately. That the I've been talking about how the Romans Road, all right, The Romans Road path to salvation that we teach. That we go out. We when we go out and we knock on people's doors, we use the Romans Road for the most part. We use a lot of verses about salvation from the book of Romans. If you go back and you read all of those passages in context you'll see many times those are quoting Old Testament passages. He's using the Old Testament to prove a salvation that's by faith without works. In the book of Romans he's using the Old Testament to do that. And I want to show you something else that the Old Testament refers or that Romans refers to from the Old Testament, but let's let's read Let's just start reading early in Romans chapter 10. All right, We all know Romans 10.13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But let's go ahead and start reading in verse 5, and I want to point out some very important things to you. It says right here in verse 5, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. All right, What that's saying right there, if you want righteousness by the law, then you must live by the law. In other words, you've got to obey all the laws. All right? I don't have time to prove this to everybody, but guess what? That counts every one of you in here out. You've all failed in keeping the law of God. But if you want to receive righteousness by the law, you know, you've got to live a perfect life. You have to obey all the laws of God. We can't do that. But then he says, "...but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise." Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall ascend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Okay? Now notice that. Let's. I want you to keep your finger there in Romans chapter 10 and I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Because this right here, Paul is referring to a passage in the Old Testament right here. He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And verse 11 says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Alright? Notice that notice that language there. This is what Paul is referring to. And Paul is showing them here, he's using an example in the in the Old Testament, and he's showing how hey, it was always about faith. Is what he's doing right here. The righteousness that Moses spoke of in the law he said that if you're going to if you're going to be saved by that you've got to do all those things okay but then he goes and he uses the same language so hey the word is very nigh even thy mouth all right the, the, the righteousness which is of faith this is what Paul is talking about and so let's keep reading in Romans go back to Romans chapter 10 and so he says in verse 9 that if thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's Old Testament. For the Scripture saith. Says in Isaiah 28, 16. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth, Shall not make haste. Alright? And that word, when it's saying make haste right there, it means, you know, you're not going to, uh, feel anxious. You're not going to be found wanting. Another way you can kind of compare that, and I, I've used this illustration before, if you were going to go and you were going to have a date with somebody, you, you, uh, maybe you were a lady and a guy asked you on a date, said, I want you to meet me at this restaurant. I'm going to be a little bit late getting there, but, you know, you go ahead. I got a place reserved. You know, don't worry. I'm paying the bill. You get there, just go get the table, and I'm gonna get there. And that lady, she's sitting at the table, and she's waiting, and it's okay, it's about time for the guy to get here. You know, the waiter's already come by, she already got a drink, you know, she's already she's already ordered some stuff, and all of a sudden she's waiting and waiting, and the guy's just not coming. You know what's gonna happen? She's gonna start to make haste. She's gonna start to get anxious, she's gonna start to worry. Okay? If that guy does not show up and leaves her there, she's gonna be ashamed, isn't she? Because here she was expecting someone to meet her there. She was expecting someone to come along who was going to pay the bill and they didn't show up and now she is ashamed and you know has to figure out how to pay the, you know, has to go wash dishes, she didn't even bring her water or anything like that. You know? you know And the thing is, those of us who believe on Christ, we will not make haste. We will not be ashamed. We know when Jesus Christ returns, He's going to take us to heaven, isn't he? We know we're not going to be left behind. When the rapture comes, I know I'm not going to be sitting there just like, what am I still doing here? And let me tell you something, if I was still standing here after the rapture, I would be ashamed. I <laughs> I really messed up. But you know what? I believed on Christ. I'm not going to be ashamed. Okay? This is something that was talked about in the Old Testament that Paul is referring to right here just before he gets to uh, verse uh, 12. Verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek; for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. What Jesus was, or what uh, Isaiah was talking about, was something that God wrote to the Jews. But guess what? This wasn't just for the Jews, because there is you know, no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is rich to all that call upon Him. This is for the whole world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, So right here, that famous verse that we use, it's using the Old Testament to prove for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's using the Old Testament to prove that. Look at this in verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? All right. Now, I told you there were soul winners in Genesis chapter 4 because then men begin to call on the Lord. Well, what does the Bible say in Romans? How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And the dispensation would say, well, that's in today's way of salvation. In today's New Testament dispensation, you have to have the preacher, but you didn't in the Old Testament. Oh, really? Because let's read the next verse. In verse 15, It says, "...and how shall they preach, except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things." Where does that come from? That comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 6, "...therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that does speak. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace." That bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that say unto Zion, thy God reigneth. They was talking about that back in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, that how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good tidings. That's what gospel means. Good tidings. People were bringing it, they were publishing salvation, even in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, where we get the Romans road, when he's describing how we do all these things, He's following the example from the Old Testament. He's using examples in the Old Testament. And if it's, if they can't hear without a preacher today, they couldn't hear without a preacher back in that day too. Nothing changed. What Paul is showing here in the book of Romans is not a new way. He is reinforcing an old way. So the very fact that Rome, or Genesis chapter 4 said, then began men to call on the Lord. You know what? I can... Easily assume from that, I can easily assume that somebody gave them the gospel. Somebody preached salvation to them, and they believed and they called on the Lord for salvation. That is not a stretch. Alright? That is not a stretch. The Bible makes it clear. And another thing the dispensationalists do, if it's not spelled out in the Old Testament passages, they act like it didn't happen, even though. But you know the New Testament often says these things happened back then. And listen, if Jesus said something happened in the Old Testament, guess what? It happened in the Old Testament. Even if it's not recorded in those Old Testament books, if it's recorded in the New Testament, then it counts. It happened in the Old Testament. Because I'm going to give more examples of things that happened in the Old Testament that are referred to in the New Testament, but we don't see it written in the Old Testament. But if it was written in the New Testament then it sure enough happened in the Old Testament. There's no doubt about that. So, there is no doubt. Uh, you know, there, there is no doubt that these people that called the Lord is because somebody preached them the Gospel. Okay, now who was it? You know, who was it? Well, God would send prophets back then. God sent prophets all the time. Well, I don't see it mentioning any prophet in there. doesn't mean it didn't happen. All right. It doesn't mean it didn't. Ha- that's what the Bible constantly refers. To that we'll see more examples of that in a little bit. So here's the question: This is the thing that people bring up. What were the soul winners preaching? All right. What were the soul winners preaching? All right. When men began to call on the Lord in Genesis four, what exactly did those soul winners say? What were they preaching? All right. Now I don't have in front of me or in the Old Testament the Printed words that they used, all right. But I'm going to prove to you that they preached the gospel, all right. That I believe they preached the gospel. I believe they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all right. Let me prove this to you. Look what it says in Galatians chapter three, in verse six. Remember, in the dispensational rules that are messed up, if it's not mentioned in the Old Testament, then it just didn't happen, okay. But in a Bible believer's rules, okay, if the New Testament some, tells us something happened in the Old Testament, it happened. Alright? If Jesus said something happened back then, it happened. Alright? If Paul in his writing says that something happened in the Old Testament, you can mark it down, it happened. The New Testament is scripture too. Okay? These people always want to throw out the New Testament and just read the Old Testament. No. Use both. Okay? Use both. But look what it says in Galatians 3, 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the Gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. God preached the Gospel to Abraham. God did. God preached the Gospel. And I've proved multiple times in the past there's only one gospel. There ever, only ever has been one gospel. There will only ever be one gospel. But let's see, Let's look at some more on this to see exactly what this gospel that was preached to Abraham consisted of. Because notice how it says in there that he preached the gospel unto Abraham. What did he say? In thee, in thy seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Okay. That was how he preached the gospel. We can go back, we're not going to go back and look at it. We can go back and read that story in the Bible. God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. God told Abraham, I will bless him that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. We see in Acts chapter three that the blessing was Jesus Christ and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. We see that in Galatians 3, when God said that, he wasn't talking about Abraham's descendants. He was not speaking of seeds and that as of many, but as of one, thy seed, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the seed of Abraham. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. So when God said, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, who was he preaching to him? He was preaching Jesus, wasn't he? That's Jesus Christ. that seed was Jesus Christ. Look and notice too what was being preached to Abraham. It was a faith without works. It says in Romans chapter 4 verse 1, What shall we say then as Abraham our Father as pertaining to the flesh, had found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. Now, why is he bringing this up right here? Because in Romans 3.23, he said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was proving to them that all are sinners. And he was proving to them from the Old Testament that we're not saved by works. He was proving, he's using the Old Testament, he's using the example of Abraham to prove that we're not saved by works. Yet many Baptists they preach they were saved by faith plus works in the Old Testament. That is a lie. That is a dirty lie. Look at what it says. It Says for what saith the Scripture? How did Abraham get saved? What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Right in verse sixteen. So what was his? What was he believing in? All right. What was Abraham believing in? Well, in verse sixteen, it says, "Therefore is a faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed." "...not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope received in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in the faith he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 120 or 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So notice how Abraham, he's, he's strong in the faith. He's believing that God is going to be able to do the things that He said He was going to be able to do. He understood that the salvation that He had, He understood it was out without works. It's clear He understood that it was by believing in God. And in Hebrews chapter eleven and verse seventeen, it says, "By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said." that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis that through his seed, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And God promised him that that seed, it was going to come through Isaac. God promised that. Now, this in this story where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac didn't have any children yet, did he? Isaac had not had any children. And so notice what it says in verse 19. Abraham's going to go kill Isaac who if he kills him, doesn't that ruin God's plan? If Isaac's dead, how can he have children? How can the seed come that was promised? But it says in verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also He received him in a figure. What is this saying right here? Folks, this is perfectly clear here abraham believed god could raise isaac from the dead you say well that's not a big deal it was then considering at this point no one had ever been raised from the dead no one had ever come back from the dead at this point but yet abraham he was willing to go kill his own son knowing that god was able to raise him from the dead why because abraham received him His only begotten son in a like figure. He he understood that he was a a like figure of what? Just like God told Abraham, I want you to go take your son, your only son, and kill him. Okay? Abraham, remember, before this took place, God had preached the gospel to Abraham. Well, what is the gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, it's crystal clear Abraham believed in a resurrection. It's clear that God preached the Gospel to him. He had received His Son on a light figure and he's like, you know what? If God is going to send His Son and who's going to die and be raised from the dead, then you know what? God can raise My Son from the dead too. In fact, God would have to raise My Son from the dead because of the fact the seed that's going to come and die for the sins of man and be raised from the dead is going to come through my son Isaac. Folks, to say that Abraham you know, was preached a different gospel than the one we have is absolutely insane. It doesn't make any sense. It's so clear in the Bible. Abraham understood the death, burial, and resurrection. He understood it to the point that he believed his son could be raised from the dead before anyone had ever been raised from the dead. Before the, you, know, you know, it's easy for us to believe it because we have Jesus Christ who lives inside of us who was raised from the dead. We know the story of Lazarus who was raised from the dead. We've got all these examples in the Bible of people who were raised from the dead. It's not that hard for us to believe it, but Abraham believed it before anything like that had ever even happened. Why? Because the Gospel had been preached to him. He knew that the seed was going to come. He was trusting in that seed. And even if he killed his son Isaac, he knew nothing could change the fact God's going to keep his promise. That seed is going to come. He's going to die. He had put his faith and his trust in that seed. He believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So folks, I don't care how hard you try to twist the scriptures and twist verses in the Old and New Testament. It is clear that Abraham understood the gospel. He understood the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is just absolutely no way around that without just going crazy twisting the scriptures. But look what it says. Let's just look at a few more examples of this in the Bible to prove that they preached the gospel in the Old Testament. Um, one, all the prophets they wrote of Jesus. It says in Acts chapter 3 verse 22, it says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, "...a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me him shall ye hear and all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant." which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed unto you first. God, having raised up His Son, Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you from His iniquities. Right here, the Bible is very clear. Moses preached about a prophet that was going to be like unto him. Who was that prophet? It was Jesus Christ. So when Moses is preaching to the people about the prophet, who was Moses preaching? He was preaching Jesus, wasn't he? When Samuel and all the prophets preached, they were talking about Jesus, it's spelled out here in Acts chapter three, Peter himself, he said all the prophets preached about Jesus. All of them. That's what they preached. So what you know, it's just simple deduction that just causes us to say, Alright, if you can't hear without a preacher, all right, if all the prophets spoke of Jesus then who who and what was preached to those men in Genesis chapter 4 it was Jesus there's there's no doubt about it did they reveal the name Jesus at that point I, I don't know maybe not but I tell you who they were talking about they were talking about Jesus when they talk about a prophet I don't know maybe in Genesis chapter 4 maybe they preached hey maybe they just preached Genesis chapter 3. Verse fifteen or sixteen: The seed of a woman shall bruise the head of Satan. Maybe they preached on that. Guess who that seed of the woman was? Jesus Christ. We see Jesus preached in Genesis chapter three. So it's it's crazy to say that he wasn't preached. Look, let's look at the words of Jesus Christ himself in Luke chapter twenty four, verse twenty five. Then he said unto them, "O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." This is after the resurrection of Jesus. He meets these men on the road to Emmaus and they're like, hey, you heard the rumors? Supposedly, Jesus rose from the dead. And these men doubted it. Jesus called them fools and slow of heart because they didn't believe all that the prophets have spoken. He said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures The things concerning himself, y'all see it. Jesus went through the entire Old Testament, and you know who he preached about? He preached about himself. Why? Because it was all over the Old Testament. He said he's asking these. He called these people fools because they didn't believe in his resurrection from reading the Old Testament. And yet, we've got the dispensations today. You can't find the death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. Fool and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It's all over in the Old Testament. The story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. That is a great picture of the death of Jesus Christ and His payment for sin. Right there is a great example. You've got all kinds of examples in Isaiah. I think Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the the clearest examples of that. We have pictures of it. We have types of it. I mean, we see it in Psalms. Thou shalt not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer thine holy one to see corruption. I mean, we there's example after example of things in the Old Testament. And the Bible in the New Testament flat out tells us it's there. And yet these people say they can't see it. I weren't preaching death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, they were. They were preaching in a coming Messiah. They were preaching in the coming seed. These, these things were clearly preached. Jesus used the Old Testament... Prove his death, burial, and resurrection. The apostle Paul used the Old Testament to preach the, to teach the way of salvation that we go and teach today, that we call the Romans Road. But not people don't even realize that Romans Road is based off of Old Testament scripture, and so it's the, they were preaching the same thing. Look what, and so another proof that there was soul winning and that God expected saved people to win souls in the Old Testament. I think we see an example of this in Genesis chapter 18. Turn over to Genesis chapter 18. And look at verse 23. It says, "...And Abraham drew near and said, "'Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked?' This is the story when God was He tells Abraham, Listen, I know your nephew lost in Sodom and Gomorrah, but I'm going to destroy that city. I'm going to destroy that city. Abraham said, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked?' Verse 24, peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? Now let me ask you this question. Why in the world would Abraham, or God for that matter, expect righteous people to be in Sodom and Gomorrah? I'll tell you why. Because of the fact Lot was there. Lot was a saved man. Now you can say, well, no, that righteous that was by the law. Oh, really? Did you forget what we read about in Romans chapter 4, talking about Abraham? This is, this is in Abraham's day. Do you not think that this gospel that God preached to Abraham, that Abraham never preached it to his nephew that he loved like a son, Lot? He obviously did preach it to Lot, and you know what? Lot believed it. And let me tell you something about Lot. That righteousness that he had was definitely not by the law, because Lot was not a very good guy. Yet in the New Testament, the Bible says that just man dwelling among them, Lot was called a just man, even though we see Lot was a really sorry person. Lot did some pretty bad things. Lot's righteousness was not by the law. You know what his righteousness was by? Faith. I think he got saved. I think Abraham told him the gospel that had been told him. Listen, if God came and preached something to you, don't you think you'd go preaching to somebody else? Now, don't tell me you would, because you know what? Some of you won't go preach the gospel that you've been preached to. And you know what? It's from the Word of God, alright? But at the same time, I think Abraham did. You know, God knew that Abraham would, you know, God, God, one of the things that God liked about Abraham, God knew that he would command his family. He knew he would teach them, right? So we see, Lot was a saved man, and Abraham, he said, you know, he ends up talking God down from 50 to 10 righteous people. Abraham's thinking surely Lot's at least got his family and a couple other people saved. We know Lot had at least four daughters and at least two son-in-laws. Might have had some grandkids, but Abraham, Abraham, he didn't say you know just he didn't even try to go down to four. He's he's got to be thinking surely Lot has gotten some people saved, right? Because that's what saved people do. And so he did. He stopped at ten thinking that that would work. You know, God originally said, I won't destroy it for 50. Why would there be 50 righteous people there? Because Lot was there. Lot should have been getting some people saved. And so Abraham expected there to uh, to be saved people in Sodom, but there weren't. You know why? Because Lot was a sorry believer. He was a bad Christian. He didn't tell anybody. Now, he did try to warn his son-in-laws and his daughters that were married about the coming judgment, but the Bible said he seemed as one that mocked. Now, why did they think he was acting weird when he was preaching to them? I'll tell you why, because they'd never seen him do that before. He'd never talked spiritual before. He never talked about the things of God before. All of a sudden now he's talking all spiritual. What's wrong with you? You're You're just making fun of us. And you know what? They didn't believe him, and they ended up dying in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, you know, based on everything we've seen in the scripture, we know they weren't that this righteousness that Abraham is looking for you know it was not a righteousness which is by the law. Abraham knew how wicked Sodom and Gomorrah was. Abraham had to have a pretty good idea too of the backslidden state of his of his uh, nephew Lot. You know he had to have known about some of these things. But at the same time, it's clear Abraham's thinking: surely he's told some people, surely he has shared the gospel with somebody in this city, because this is what saved people do. They tell other people how to be saved. And so based on the fact that God has always used prophets to go into cities in the Old Testament, it can cause us to understand they had to have a preacher back then too. Lot should have been the guy in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot should have been the guy that got that city spared. God wouldn't have destroyed the city if there had been ten righteous people, but Lot didn't get anyone saved. And we see many examples of that. We see Jonah. Jonah went into Nineveh and he preached. We see the people getting saved there. We see many other examples in the Bible of God sending prophets to other wicked cities. Most of the time to preach doom and destruction. But you know what? There's no reason for us to doubt the fact that there may have been some people, some other prophets in the Old Testament that went to some of these other cities and preached the Gospel to them. We don't know. It's clear for the most part... Uh, what we're reading in the Old Testament, God is focusing on the nation of Israel. Their main priority was to establish a righteous nation to follow the laws of God and the things of God and promote those things. I believe God wanted them to be a light to the world. So when other people came from other nations like the Queen of Sheba and they see what's going on uh, in, in Israel, you know, I believe you know God wanted them to be a light to those people, tell them how to be saved. We see God made a way for people to become Jews, you didn't have to just be born into Israel to be a Jew. You could become a Jew if you would, you know, if you would be circumcised, if you would agree to keep uh, some of these laws, and then you would go and you would literally become a, a a member of one of the tribes too. The tribe that you would become a part of was the tribe that you lived among. Whichever tribe you lived among, you would become a part of that tribe. But it's it's so clear in the Bible that God wanted people getting saved back in those days. It's crystal clear God used other saved people, and I believe they preached the gospel, because that is the only way someone can get saved. The only way anyone's going to get saved is by preaching the gospel. Oh, you know, Bill Grady, one of our favorite heretics. You know, he was talking about Romans two and talking about you know people that looked for him back then. You know, they would receive eternal life if they were just you know if they were just looking and whatever. No. People had to receive the Gospel. Because you know what the Bible says in the Old Testament? There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. They are all together to come out of the way. They are all become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. In Romans, it says as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's also quoting the Old Testament. We use that in Romans. Quoting the Old Testament. There were none that were seeking after God. When you got saved, you weren't seeking after God. All right. Now you might think you were, but that's just because the Holy Spirit was drawing you. Alright? It was that that's but it wasn't you seeing it was God looking for you, and ultimately what got you saved is somebody came along that preached the gospel to you. Nobody can get saved unless somebody preaches the gospel to them. They must hear the gospel. You cannot believe if you haven't heard and you can't hear without a preacher. Proof of that is not in Romans that the proof of that is from the Old Testament. That's where Romans got their proof. The fact that we see people calling on the Lord in the Old Testament, it, it proves it to us. This work of winning souls, it is not a new work. But it, it's a very old work. God never removed it from any age. Now, man has often failed to fulfill that work. Okay? Yeah, if you want to go back in the Old Testament and find examples of Israel doing a good job of soul winning, good luck. Most of the time when we look at their history, we see them getting caught up in idolatry. And that's why we see God constantly punishing them in the Old Testament. Israel did a sorry job of getting, of spreading the gospel and being a to the world. They did a very sorry job so bad the kingdom was taken from them and given to another nation. And we are a part of that nation today, alright? Not the United States, not that nation, but we're a part of that Commonwealth of Israel, that spiritual Israel, and we are the ones that have picked up that torch, and we are the ones that are spreading that gospel, and we have got to keep this up. Soul winning is falling by the wayside today. Once again, in this day and age we're living in, it's even, I mean, it's fallen on the wayside in Baptist churches, and most Baptist churches today, in their quote unquote soul winning program, they have all that is, is them going out, you know, getting some trendy looking flyers, hanging them on people's doors, you know, just inviting to church, going and telling everybody about their, you know, awesome programs that they have, basically. You know, that's why churches are looking like Chuck E. Cheese fun centers anymore. Because that's the only way these people can get people into church. And that's all they talk about. When they, if by some fluke of nature, They actually show up at your doorstep. They're not even going to try to give you the Gospel. They're They're dropping the ball on it. It's being dropped big time. And one of the reasons too, it's just a lot of this messed up dispensational theology. It's just got people all mixed up on things. They don't think it's that important. But when you understand this work of telling people how to get saved is a work that's been going on since Genesis. All of a sudden, I think it puts it in perspective how important it is and how important it is that we keep up this work. I don't believe we see as many examples of soul winning in the Old Testament as we should just because Israel did such a bad job. And you know what? We don't see a very good example of soul winning today in Baptist churches because they're doing a bad job. You know what? you're, You're going to end up being like the ones you worship. Baptists today are worshiping the fallen nation of Israel. And guess what? They're acting like a fallen nation of Israel. But you know what? We worship God. Maybe we'll act a little more like God. God is not done with this practice and we need to keep up the work of winning souls of Christ. When are we going to quit winning souls? Not in the millennium. I mean, not, not, not in the millennium. You know when we'll quit winning souls? When there's none left to win. When everybody's saved. Then we can be done. Then our work is finished in the meantime, keep telling people about Jesus. So let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word. I pray this was a help and a motivation to people. Help us to realize the importance of soulening. That's something that's always been around, and I pray it will always um, keep it a part of our lives. I pray it will always be a very important part of this church, and that we'll uh, just keep on carrying the torch on this until your return. In your name, we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.